right, so with that, I'll ask and invite Arnell to come forward and read today's scripture for us. Reading from, uh, from the book of uh, Proverbs, chapter 3, verses uh, 5 and 6 and 9 to 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your work, of all your produce. Then your barns will be uh, filled with plenty and your vast will be bursting with wine. Thank you very much, Arnell. Well, we are today now completing our five-part uh, sermon series entitled Money and the Wisdom of Proverbs. Uh, initially, we looked at uh, the first week, true wealth. What is true wealth? And of course, wealth ultimately is God. He is the most a valuable person and thing in the universe and is our source of wisdom in terms of how we manage our own wealth that he gives to us. Then we looked at wisdom and debt. Debt is a ma major issue here on the West Coast. Then we looked at wise spending and then wi wise saving was, was last week and how you set aside savings. That is a wise idea for the future, for retirement, for others. And then today's sermon title is this, Wise Giving. We're finishing with wise giving. And if you add all five of those basic biblical Proverbs aspects to your financial picture, to the managing of God's money in your life, uh, well, it will help put you back, or put you on the road to financial health for the first time, or put you back on that road to financial health again, uh, basically bringing about strength and stability in your financial picture. I am telling you, this stuff and this wisdom from the Bible, and Proverbs specifically, about managing your money, this stuff works. That's the great thing about the Bible. It very often works. It is very, very practical and helpful stuff. Now, in terms of wise giving, let me talk about the offering time. And, and in most church services, it happens as part of what they do. They gather for worship like we are doing today. They might take the offering at the early part of the service, or they might take it at the end like we do. And I want to ask, what happens during the offering time in a typical church Service. Imagine the servers coming your direction. They got the baskets or they got the trays. They are coming toward you. And when the offering servers are making their way toward you, an entire range of emotion is very often experienced uh, by you, depending on where you're at with this idea of giving to your local church, all right? And there might be emotions, first of all, like guilt. The offering uh, basket is coming your way, and you say, oh, no. No, 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 no. Not the offering time again. I can never seem to get my act together with my giving to the local church. I never seem to have money on me or even in my bank account to give. You know, I'm sure Jesus would understand. You know, he understands if I just skip the offering today and maybe next Sunday and maybe actually every Sunday, I'll just skip the offering time. No harm done, okay? That's the guilt approach. Then there's an offering. There's another emotion associated with the offering, and that is anger. All right, you ever get angry during the offering time? That darn church, always asking for money again. It seems like that's all they ever do is ask for my hard-earned cash. Doggone it. Um, I, I work too hard to drop anything in that offering basket. Besides, I don't know where that money is going anyhow. I'm sure it's going for corrupt purposes somewhere. All right. And again, I'm sure Jesus will understand if I just skip the offering today and then next Sunday. And maybe just skip it every Sunday, in fact. Yeah, let's do that. 
and on and on the range of emotions go. Uh, there's guilt, there's anger associated with the offering time, there's disappointment, there's stress, there's anxiety, and there's just this idea, this feeling of being annoyed by the offering time. But wait a minute here. Is it possible to give to Jesus by way of his local church with joy, like this little girl? Is that possible to be your response? To give with passion, to give with a sense of authentic worship. Like this is, this is an amazing part of our worship service, and there's a lot of joy associated with that. Can that happen? Is this possible? Interestingly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says this about your giving as a Christian to your local church. Here's what Paul says. He says, each one, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you probably know, that, the, or maybe know, that the New Testament was written originally in ancient Koine Greek, an ancient form of the Greek language. And it, so what you need to know is that the same Greek root word for the word, uh, sorry, cheerful in that verse there, is the English root word for hilarious, okay? So basically, in other words, your giving to God is to be a hilarious, joy-inducing kind of experience. Is that your giving? Would that summarize your giving to the local church? This is hilarious. I can't believe I'm writing a check for this amount. That's hilarious, God. It's maybe nerve-wracking and hilarious at the same time. But anyhow, I am saying it is possible for the offering time to be a cheerful, joy-inducing kind of experience uh, when you give for the right reasons, when your motive is, is correct. Here's the thing, though. A lot of people have this idea of church, and one of the biggest beefs, uh, either with Christians or people who are outside of the church, one of their biggest beefs is that the church ever talks about money. All right? They feel like they're always asking for the money, and a lot of people are very touchy when it comes to anyone giving them advice or instruction about your finances. It's just like, hey, that's my money. It's just shh, 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 okay? Shh, don't talk about money in the church. Quick story, though. Here's a quick story about why we must talk about money and giving in the church. A uh, quick story is this. Simply, I have two, I have more than two church planter friends. These are guys who have led teams to start new churches. But there's two church planter friends that I want to talk about. And they planted churches uh, several years ago in the Pacific Northwest, in our area. And you need to know that both of these church plants no longer exist to this day. They started and now they're gone. They're gone. They didn't last that long. There is one key common denominator with these two churches. One key uh, common denominator. You know what that is? They never once talked or taught about giving to the church. Never once even uttered the word money in any sermons whatsoever. Never taught about the idea of Christians giving generously to Jesus by way of their local church. So now the result is those churches uh, are closed, and now in those neighborhoods... There's no gospel about Jesus going forth. There's no one being saved in those neighborhoods any longer. There's no one being transformed by the gospel in those cities any longer. And you see, that's, that's, that's what's at stake here, the gospel. And so wise giving is a, is a key component to, to what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. In fact, that's why Jesus talks so often about money and managing your money in a way that was honoring God. Jesus knew very clearly that money and stuff that money buys uh, is one of the biggest spiritual barriers that prevent people uh, from following him. 
It's one of the biggest spiritual barriers that get in the way of people following Jesus. It's a huge roadblock getting in the way of people being saved and transformed by Jesus. Interestingly, I talked about Billy Graham last Sunday. In fact, it might have been the last two Sundays. I like Billy Graham, okay? And uh, he's passed on to be with Jesus. But he said this about finances and Christians. He said these words, If a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. And he's right. Following what the Bible says on how to handle your money, it will straighten out your marriage. That might be the core issue for why your marriage is, is in trouble, is, is over finances. So it helps straighten out your marriage. Praise God for that. might help straighten out your future marriage if you're not yet married. All right, if you're saving money towards your marriage, future marriage. It will help, help straighten out your priorities in life. And most importantly, getting your finances right with God and straightened out, it will also help straighten out your spiritual life with Jesus and strengthen your faith in Jesus. This leads me to share this, this big idea for today, the big overall idea under which there's three key parts. And the big idea for today's message is simply this, that it is wise, it is faithful to be generous like God, so he's our example, to be generous like God toward the mission of Jesus and the poor. That is our big idea. And again, there are three parts, part A, part B, part C. See, I, I know my alphabet. And part A is, first of all, what Proverbs says about generosity. What Proverbs says about generosity. So we're starting in Proverbs here, because the series is supposed to be about the book of Proverbs and finding wisdom in it. Proverbs says a surprising, shocking amount uh, of teaching and instruction about how to be generous as a follower of God uh, in order to bring honor to him. So the first thing that Proverbs says, or one thing that Proverbs says about generosity in your notes is this under part A, trust in the Lord with your finances, including your giving. Trust in the Lord with your finances, including your giving. In other words, there's a connection between trusting God and your giving to God. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. There's a connection between trusting God and being generous towards God and his purposes and to the poor. Here's what uh, Arnell read for us, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. I'll say it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Kind of like what Billy Graham was talking about there. What, what this is saying is, you've got to trust in the Lord with all your heart, with everything you have, with everything you are. We do this very imperfectly. You may feel the weight of that. How can I trust God with everything I am? Well, we, we still make that our, that's what we're aiming towards. And we do that very imperfectly, but we do it with his help. But we, you must not rely on your own understanding, on your own opinions about finances, or your own ideas, or, or your own dreams, and so on. No, you've got to trust fully. You're, you're all in for the Lord with your life. And then God's Word tells us to acknowledge Him in all your ways. Acknowledge God in all your ways, including with your finances. Remember that cartoon last week? The guy is being baptized by the pastor. And he's holding up his wallet out of the water. And basically he's saying, you ain't getting that, Jesus. You're not getting that. Now that's problematic. I mean, it's funny, but it's problematic. That is really what a lot of people, a lot of Christians, sadly, that's the approach that they take with their finances towards uh, Jesus. Um, harkens back, again, Billy Graham. He said, if a Christian gets his giving to God straightened out, God will help straighten out very often every other area in his or her life. And here's why giving generously to Jesus very often straightens out our lives. 
It's because at the root of our giving, which is this, at the root of our giving is what? It's faith. It's foundational. At the root of our giving is faith, is trust. Do I believe, do I actually believe, do I believe that if I give generously to Jesus, that he's going to take care of my needs according to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? Basically, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this, that if you make Jesus and his kingdom your primary concern, he promises to take care of your needs. Needs, not wants, by the way. doesn't mean he's going to give you a Lambo or a mansion. Needs, okay? But do you believe that? If you make Jesus and his kingdom your primary concern, he promises to take care of your needs. All right? So if I write this, this big check or I make, you know, I do this 10% deal of my, of my income and it's on a check or it's on a debit machine or PayPal, whatever it is, I can b- believe that Jesus can be trusted to take care of me if I do that. I mean, that's kind of nuts. The math doesn't add up. If I give more away, I get a lot back or more back. That doesn't make any logical mathematical sense here. But we trust God with that. We leave it to him. We, faith doesn't make sense. It's not logical all the time. Even though I think it's the, the, the best thing you can do. But you see, the more you act in faith towards God with your finances, with your giving, you will discover that over time, over the long haul, your faith and your trust in God strengthens, it grows, it solidifies, it becomes like steel. Do you want steel-like faith? Well, here's a good way to grow your faith. It's very simple, very practical. Not unlike, some of you go to the gym, okay? I won't point you out. Um, Believe it or not, no one believes me, by the way, that I go to the gym. They just don't believe me. They're like, you do not, you do not go to the gym. There's no evidence there. Uh, But believe it or not, I actually do. And, uh, but let's imagine you going to the gym, okay? And let's imagine you skip the treadmill because treadmills are boring. Can I hear an amen on treadmills? They're boring, man. Um, and so you decide, you know what, i got to start at the base level. I need help. My biceps are pathetic. Uh, and so I am going to start pumping some dar- dumbbells here. And the first week you go to the gym, you start pumping some dumbbells. And you start with 10 pounds. And you're just you're pumping away. Okay, this is feeling good. All right, week number two or three, you're doing 20 or 15, whatever it is. Week after that, 25. Week after that, 30. Week after that, 40. Week after that, 45. Week after that, 50. Now you're feeling good. Now you're feeling like this guy, okay? Didn't take that long. Took, took about, well, 12 years. Just joking. But anyhow, you're starting to pump about 50 or more pounds. And how are you able to now slam 50-pound dumbbells with ease, without breaking a sweat? How can you do that? We see over time, over the long haul, you get used to it. Your bicep gets used to it. You are pushing that bicep, and you discovered that that bicep started to grow, and it got stronger, and it got more steel-like. And just like your biceps get stronger, the more that you use them, and the more that you challenge them, and the more that you stress them, so also does your faith in God grow in like manner, and it grows stronger over the long haul where you, you test your faith and you, you put stress on your faith, if you will, with your giving, to the point where now, after you've seen God help you be generous to his purposes, and you've seen God provide for you, he hasn't made you rich, but he's provided for you every step of the way, well now, it is inconceivable for you to not give to your local church. You just can't not give to your local church or any church that you visit, even on vacation inconceivable. Remember that, Princess Bride? Inconceivable. Can you imagine that? Connect that to the giving. Maybe not. 
Time and again, Jesus has proved himself that he is trustworthy, that he's taking care of you, taking care of your basic needs. And the amazing thing is, yes, your faith grows over time like that muscle, but your ability just in general, you grow spiritually as well. And the, the spiritual benefits of giving are enormous. The spiritual benefits of giving are enormous. And what you find is, as your faith grows, in addition, you are also more able to deal with hard times. Your faith becomes so resilient, it gives you resiliency when, when, when life goes sideways on you. And you're like, my faith is there. I, he's trustworthy. I don't know what God's doing, but he, I'm going to trust him even through this, hard, this hardship, no matter what. And so the spiritual benefits are tremendous of trusting in the Lord with your finances. You will see Jesus do miracles. Now, I'm not a big miracle guy. I don't talk about miracles that often. But miracles are God's activity in our life that are out of the ordinary. And you start to see these kinds of miracles happen in your finances when you start to trust in God in these ways and are generous towards him. And I'll talk more about that a little later. Let's move on to number two point under what Proverbs says about generosity is this in your notes. Giving the Lord his part results in blessing. Giving the Lord his part results in blessing. Now I need to explain two things here. I, you, you, you heard about that thing called part in number two there. What is that part? What is that all about? Uh, let me uh, talk about this. Basically that part is referring to what is known as the tithe. Uh, and very often tithe can be defined as a tenth of your income, okay? Uh, and, and that's what a part is. It's an Old Testament biblical idea, and it comes from ancient times. And by the way, it wasn't just the ancient Hebrews in the Bible that tithed their income. Uh, most, or many, I should say, ancient cultures would have very often tithed back to their gods. Obviously, to the wrong god, please don't do that, but, but to the right god is honestly the key. But they were in that habit. And so the, the, it, it made a lot of sense, and the reason that they would tithe is this way was because very often in, the, in those ancient cultures, their currency were animals and grains, okay? They didn't have like, you know, dollar bills or debit machines or PayPal. They had animals and grains. And so it made a lot of sense for God to instruct his people to give a tithe because they could let 10 sheep go by them and every 10th sheep, they say, bam, that one's a tithe to the Lord. I give it to the temple, okay? It's very easy and very simplistic that way. And so is it easy for us if you're somewhat good at math, even, like me, I'm terrible at math, but I can do 10% calculations in my mind. I'm that, that amazingly sharp, not really. But it's just very practical that way. That's what part means here, okay? Just to clarify that. Second thing about this point that I want to clarify is that we, let me make this loud and proud announcement, we are not a health and wealth church. Have you heard about these health and wealth churches that are out there? There are a number of churches who teach that if you just give your tithe to the Lord, then just like a mathematical formula, bam, guaranteed, God is going to make you rich. He's going to make you well. He's going to take away your sickness. He's going to make you amazing. All right, if you just give your tithe to the Lord, well, very often you can expect to get that mansion and Lambo and Ferrari. They're going to show up in your life any day now. So we do not teach this. We do not believe this. The Bible does not teach this at all. The Bible nowhere says that God guaranteed is going to make you healthy and wealthy if you just give to him. However, that being said, it does say there is some blessing. There is blessing when you give faithfully to God and his purposes. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Again, Arnell read this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. There's the currency, the produce. 
then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, again, before you think that the key for me getting rich and being successful financially is to give generously to God. That's the key. No, 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 no. That is not how it goes, okay? You are wrong if you believe that. First of all, Proverbs, uh, they are written as, not as commandments, but as general observations about how the world works and how life generally goes, okay? So generally, um, that's, this, so the, the point is, I'm trying to make is, it's not a commandment, it's, it's, it's a general observation. So if you are generous to God and others, you are generally blessed with plenty. However, it doesn't always work out that way. Second reason that this proverb does not guarantee that you will get rich quick if you are just generous to God is because if your motive is to get rich, can you imagine the Lord letting you or blessing you to, to allow you to get rich? I mean, he might do that maybe to teach you a lesson so that you, you learn that getting rich is not everything. But I, it's hard to see God doing that. But this reminds me of a guy. Let me tell you a story. I know a guy. And this guy owned a business, and this business was not doing well. Now, you need to know that this guy was attending church at the time, but he never gave to the church, okay? And then he heard some teaching somewhere, I don't think from, from this church that he was a part of, but he heard something somewhere, maybe on Christian radio, that suggested that if he gives faithfully to his church and generously to his own local church, well, God will bless him and, and make him well and make him healthy and make him wealthy, all right, and all that stuff. Well, okay, this is what he does. So he decides to go to his church the next Sunday, cuts the church a large check because he's hoping to cash in. The Lord's going to bless my business, and then I can be, be wealthy. He wanted to be wealthy. That was his main aim in life. Now, did this happen to the guy? It did not because within just a matter of a few weeks, he went bankrupt. He went bankrupt, and not just once. Then he went bankrupt about the, the year after that as well. So you can see his motive forgiving was, was all wrong. It wasn't to honor God. It wasn't to show appreciation to God for the gospel at all. Okay? So that's, that's something to be aware of. Okay? Don't give for the wrong motive. That's not the point. That's not the point. Here's the thing. When you are faithful with your first fruits giving, which means, you remember that term first fruits in Proverbs 3, 9 there? First fruits giving, it means you give God you give to God his part, his 10%, if you believe that tithing is a good biblical standard and principle and guideline for you. If you give God his first fruits, very often you will discover that he will bless you many times over. And not just bless you financially, but bless you spiritually. Again, as your faith is growing, it is solidifying, and it's just, it's just becoming stronger like a muscle over time. I want to share a quick personal story, and there's a couple of stories that are just amazing in terms of what the Lord has, has been so good to us, we haven't deserved his goodness and blessing in these ways. Um, and, and this is one of those two stories that I want to share. And I don't like to share these, but I'm going to do it uh, to, to help you a little bit. Um, when we first got married, I was 24. Both Tammy and I were 24 years old. And uh, Tammy was actually the one that insisted that as we set up our finances as a couple, we need to set aside a 10% of our gross income to our local church. Now, you need to know I had just become an associate pastor so generally, you want to lead the way as a church leader if you want to, you know, encourage your church to do the same. And so that was the expectation, but this was still very difficult for me, and Tammy insisted that we do this. And so I remember writing those first few checks very grudgingly. I did not find much of any joy writing those checks to the church. You know why? I blame it on genetics. Um, 
I'm, I'm Dutch and Scottish, perfect storm of cheapness. Dutch, Scottish, perfect storm of cheapness. And that was me. This was very hard for me to trust God with our finances because I'm like, I don't know how we're going to balance the books at the end of this month if we keep doing this, dear. This is not a good logical mathematical idea. But sure enough, it wasn't long until we saw God do some amazing things. And we came into the marriage with some student loan debt, and it was about $2,500 debt. This is 1999, so that 2500 would be like five or more grand today. And uh, that's, that's a tough way to start your marriage, by the way, with debt, but that's what we did. And after doing this faithful tithing thing for about a year and a half, it happens. And we receive out of the blue, it wasn't Christmas, it wasn't Easter, it wasn't a birthday, we received this card handed to us by some friends of ours. And they said, don't open it now, open it later. So we're like, fine. So we grab the card, we go into, our, our, into the parking lot, into our car, Tammy opens up this envelope, and it's a card, and out of the card falls a check. Right into her lap, she picks up the check, she starts crying. You know why? It was the exact amount of her debt at that time. Our friends had no knowledge of that figure whatsoever, but it happened to be, happened to be, coincidence? The exact amount of our need in that moment, all right? Not a coincidence. Again, we've seen this pattern in, in bigger ways and in smaller ways like that. Uh, God can be trusted, and he's an amazing guy. He takes care of re- your needs. He doesn't promise to make you healthy or wealthy, but he promises to take, your, t- take care of your needs as you trust him with your finances. Um, let's move on to part B. That was part A, what Proverbs says about uh, generosity. Part B is now we're launching into two ways to give to God. There's two possible ways to give to God, and we see this in a scene and in a true life story situation uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And here we see Jesus and his disciples at the temple. And Jesus is using this scene and this situation that he is observing as a teaching moment for his disciples and for us uh, today. And here's the situation. Imagine the scene in your mind's eye. Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. That's just amazing. So what do we have here? Well, imagine the scene. It might be like a Tim Hortons lineup of people or a Starbucks lineup waiting to get their coffee, and they're just waiting to, to put their little deposit in what is an offering box at the temple. Might might have been a slot at the top of this thing, or it just might have been a large catch of some sort, okay? And the first group of people that are there, Jesus notices this first group, and these would be the modern-day version of the Escalade driving fur coat, fashion design wearing, jewelry and Rolex laden, wealthy people. And how much are these guys giving to the temple here? Well, they are giving perhaps the equivalent of thousands and thousands of dollars into the offering. Wow! Thousands of dollars into the offering for God. Isn't that impressive? But then Jesus notices someone else. We have a poor widow here. And she is wearing perhaps second-hand clothing that she may have bought from Value Village. This is, uh, she is not driving a car, perhaps, because no one drove cars back then, but you get my point. She is likely living in a, in a small little shack, 
and it's possible she may have been elderly, elderly like the, this picture uh, portrays here, or she may have been a younger widow. Maybe she's got a couple of kids at home, but here's what we do know. She has, her husband has passed away, and it's, it's clear that this husband has not passed on or left her any sort of funds to live on, so she only has one income here if she's able to work at all. Now tell me, how much does she give here in the story? She gives only the equivalent of just a few dollars, only a, a buck or two, a loony or a toony, if that. That's all that she gives. That's all. But Jesus sees it in a diff very different way. And on your outline, there are two different ways to give to God here. And this is just very clarifying and very helpful in every way. One way is right and one is wrong. And uh, here's number one way that you might give to Jesus, and that is by giving to Jesus with your leftovers. Giving to Jesus with your leftovers, okay? Even though I love leftovers, these leftovers are not good, okay? Now here is what this is like. I want you to imagine, I talk about the Queen of England. I am pro-monarchy -mon every, every way, every day. And I love the Queen, and I love for what she stands for and the history and all that. So imagine you have, are having the Queen over to your home for dinner, okay? So Queen Elizabeth is coming over to your home for dinner. She is now sitting down at the dinner table, and you place a plate of food in front of the queen there. The problem is she looks down at the food that you've given to her, and she's horrified. She is horrified. She says, by Jove, what is this? What is this? And you say, oh, it's just some leftover pizza I found in the back of the fridge. I put it in the microwave for you. I think I overheated it a little bit. It's probably going to taste like cardboard, but I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind. Well, not at all impressed. She's angry. She's upset. And she says, but can you not afford to provide me with another meal, a better meal than this? And you say, well, of course I could. Of course I could. But I thought you'd be okay with these leftovers. I thought you'd be okay with that. Now, the question is, by you serving her these leftovers, what is this saying about how much you value the queen? By you serving her leftovers, what is this saying by how much you value your queen? Similarly, in verse 4, Jesus says about the wealthy, for they all contributed out of their abundance. So they had a stack of cash, so they were just taking a, a little piece off the top of there. In other words, their gift to God didn't make a dent in their bottom line at all because there's still a big stack of cash over here. It was kind of like Bill Gates. Imagine Bill Gates uh, contributing like $10,000 to whatever cause, to the United Way, all right? Well, that 10 grand, it sounds very impressive on the surface, but honestly, it's just a fraction of the 40 or 50 or 60 billion dollars that Bill Gates is worth. He doesn't feel a gift of 10 grand, not at all. But you see, the rich people in the story, and I would put us all in this rich category, or many, most of us in this room in the rich category, most of us in this room are middle class and, or higher and enjoy the benefits of those of that income and that lifestyle, all right? So the rich people in the story would be like us here, the, the Christian, who does their budget up every month. That's a good practice, by the way. And after paying all the bills, allocating money for everything, including entertainment choices, including non-essential expenses like eating out and nice clothes that you maybe don't really need and, and alcohol expense and, and maybe uh, vacation savings and so on, the Christian then says, after paying all those things off and allocating 
all down the line there of those budget lines and categories, he says, oh dear, oh no. This month, I only have a fractional amount to give to Jesus, but you know what? I'm sure that my fractional amount of my income is still a lot more than what most people give at my church. You know, this should keep Jesus happy. This should keep my church happy. They should be grateful. They should be overjoyed with my leftovers. But you see what's happening here. You see, Jesus is sort of the, the last line item in the budget there. Jesus, by the way, he's the king of kings. He's not just the king of England. He's the king of kings. And imagine giving the king of kings, the number one ruler in the universe, giving him the leftovers. You know, if he's lucky to get the leftovers, in some cases. Imagine the king of kings only getting funds after everything else is paid for. And the amount of that gift is not felt at all. This Christian's gift, it doesn't affect their spending habits at all. There's no sense of sacrifice there. Point being, what does this kind of approach, giving Jesus your leftovers and only your leftovers and maybe your leftovers, what does that kind of approach say about what, how you value Jesus? How you value his mission? Not much. Let's move on. Second way to give in your notes is by giving to Jesus sacrificially. Giving to Jesus sacrificially. Giving to Jesus with your leftovers or giving to Jesus with a sense of sacrifice where you actually feel that sacrifice. Look in verse 4 uh, where Jesus says, but she out of her poverty, she put in all she had, all she had to live on. Isn't that a, that's shocking. Here's what she does. She basically empties out her entire bank account. She brings it to church and then gives it to God. Can you imagine doing this? Can you imagine writing a check to empty out your entire bank account? Can I hear an amen by the way? I, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. But this is what she does. She goes to church, you, you, you know, proverbially writes a check, empties out the whole bank account, just bam. This is what she does. What is the result? God is worshipped. God is honored. Now, do we all have to do that, by the way? I am not suggesting that. But Jesus is looking at the motivation here. How in the world is this worship? How is this worship? Look at verse 3. The poor widow has put in more, more than all of the rest of those guys, those wealthy guys. In other words, Jesus sees the depth of sacrifice of the gift, even though in mathematical terms, her gift was like incremental compared to perhaps the many thousands uh, gifts that were given by the wealthy. So it was very small in comparison there to the rich person's gift. But again, God's math is very different than ours. God's math looks at the ratio of income, and the widow's ratio, ratio of giving is far higher. She feels the sacrifice of that gift. She feels it because she's not sure where her next meal is coming from. She's not sure where the rent money is coming from. But yet, despite that, she is confidently trusting that God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of me. He's got it. He's got it. And what Jesus is telling you and I here today is this. The question is, is your current level of giving, that's between you and Jesus, by the way, is your current level of giving to Jesus and his church is it like this poor widow? Is it like a sacrifice? Do you actually feel that? Does it cause you to sort of scale back your discretionary spending for yourself so that you can give more to Jesus and his purposes? Does your level of giving cause you to say no to unnecessary things? You're like, you know what, I don't need that. No, I want to help, help the mission of Jesus over here. If it does, if that's you, if your giving is sacrificial, you be encouraged 
It honors God. He is pleased with it. It brings praise to him. He loves to see your faith in action in that way. He loves it. You're proving that you love him, that you love his mission, that you want more and more and more people to meet Jesus and be transformed by him. Isn't that encouraging? If this is you, he, you are, he, is, he is honored by your gift to him. So way to go. You're proving your trust in him, and you're proving that you are willing to sacrifice for him and his mission. Now, that was part B. Let's move on to part C. There's only one par- point, a part of part C, and I uh, hope you're hanging in there. I'm not sure if the sermon is long or short. I have no idea. But anyhow, we're almost done. Part C is, why give to Jesus' mission by way of the local church? We're just going straight. We're going direct here, okay? Why give to Jesus by way of his local church? Uh, here's the thing. The first thing that you need to know is that the Bible is a book about giving. In fact, the Bible talks more about giving than it talks about either heaven or hell. Isn't that amazing? It's a book about generosity, primarily God's generosity to us. Uh, so there are more promises in the Bible related to giving than any other subject. That's amazing. And so in your notes, the one and the only reason, there's more, but the, the primary reason a Christian is to give to Jesus by way of his local church is simply this, to show your gratitude, to show your gratitude, to show your gratitude to Jesus since he gave all for you. It's a gospel-centered motivation to show my gratitude to Jesus because he's been so generous to me. He gave all for me, all right? He gave all he had at the cross. He, put a, he, he was all in at the cross. God the Son, the person who, only one, who, only human who never once ever sinned, and yet he was willing to be your substitutional sacrifice in your place, crucified for you, for your sins, so that your sins could be washed away. He did that for you. He gave up his life breath to save you and to rescue you and deliver you from hell and then transform you um, in this life to live a God-centered life. And so because of that, because Jesus was all in for me, he gave all to me, I'm going to be all in for him. I want others to be also saved by Jesus. I want others also to be transformed by Jesus as well in and through this local church family. And here's where I'm getting this idea from. This actually comes, comes from the Bible. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, and this is really good stuff, really good stuff. It says, for you know the grace. That's unmerited, undeserved favor from God, by the way. None of us deserve grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, the possessor of ultimate wealth, he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Isn't that beautiful? And what this verse means is, Jesus became poor on that horrible cross to make us spiritually rich with eternal life. He became poor to make us rich with eternal life. And a good analogy to help you and I understand this motivation for giving to Jesus is to think about that person. I've shared this before, but I want you to think about that person in your life who has saved your life, like literally, literally saved your life. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I have. I was at the Wapiti River in northern Alberta, and it was a summer day, and the river was quite high, and for some reason, as an eight or nine-year-old, I decided to try to swim across the river. Good idea or bad idea? Very, very bad idea. Fortunately, there was someone there who was an expert swimmer who dove into the river, grabbed me from the raging waters, and pulled me onto shore. 
all right? Now, that was a good day for me, okay? Although I would have gone to see Jesus, but that person saved my life. Has that happened to you? Someone pull you out in front of a speeding car or uh, pulled you out of a, a burning house or something like that. So let's imagine you, someone has saved your life, literally saved your life, like my life was saved. They are your hero, if you will, all right? And after this hero saves and rescues you, you know, they, they pulled you out from that speeding car or that fire or the, those waters. What do you want? How do you react to this person generally? How do you react to your hero? Well, you want to celebrate this person in a big way. You want to express your gratitude, your appreciation to them. Thank you for saving my life. Thank you for putting your life at risk for me. You sacrificed yourself for me. It may not have gone well for you. Thank you. Thank you. And your, uh, your, your thanksgiving and your appreci appreciation, it, it's not motivated by obligation at all. It just erupts out of you. Like, how can you not uh, show gratitude to someone who saves your life in that way? You're overwhelmed with joy and happiness. You have saved my life. Thank you for giving me a second chance. And it's the same thing with Jesus, but in a much greater way. Jesus, do you believe that Jesus has saved your life? That he died on the cross to make you and allow you to live forever? Do you believe that? Jesus died. God the Son died, was tortured for you to transform you, to save you, and then help you then live a new life for God, for his glory. So if, if Jesus did all of that as God the Son, and he died one of the most cruel deaths in history for me, how can I, not give, how can I give anything less than my best to him? How can I give anything less than my best to him? I want to go back to the, that analogy of your, your hero saving your life, okay? They saved you from drowning, saved you from that fiery house, whatever it was, that speeding car. Let's imagine they just saved your life, just grabbed you out of the river. Imagine now you going up to that hero and saying nothing. No expression on your face. Nothing. You're just sort of like, you come up to that hero and you're just, meh, meh. So there's no thank you, there's, there's no appreciation, there's no party, okay? Now, what does that say about you? What does that say about you to deal with your hero in that way? It says that you probably, you might misunderstand what happened, that's possible. You certainly don't understand the kind of sacrifice that your hero went to in order to, to save and to rescue you. You don't have that, and none of us would when it comes to Jesus, but we, it's just unimaginable, right, to approach your, your hero who has just freshly rescued your life to not respond to them with something. But you see, Christians do respond to Jesus with that same non-response all the time. The same thing applies to the Christian who is not generous towards his mission. In fact, an ungenerous Christian is a contradiction. An ungenerous Christian is a contradiction. I believe something is wrong. Something is misunderstood about the gospel. Something is misunderstood about how much Jesus gave for that person to save and rescue that person and transform that person if they are not financially generous to Jesus. So he or she clearly, there's a disconnect there. They clearly do not understand the great depth of sacrifice 
and generosity that Jesus has shown to him or has shown to her, something is wrong. Something is wrong. So that's, as I bring this in for a landing, uh, let me finish this point by sharing with you Mercy Hill's motto on giving. Mercy Hill's motto on giving, and that is simply this, to give extravagantly. It's between you and Jesus, of course, but to give extravagantly because of the extravagant grace that we've received through Christ. We give extravagantly because of the extravagant grace and mercy and forgiveness of sins and hope and future that we have received through Christ. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. If we're not giving extravagantly to the mission of Jesus, then we don't understand the extravagance of his grace given to us. And so I give to Jesus. I give to Jesus. Why? To show my gratitude to him for all that he's done uh, for me on the cross. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, the church family, how uh, they are patient with this sort of teaching and open to it. We have seen you honor what your word says, and our approach is simply just, just to, to be really forthright about what you teach on this subject for Christians. And, and so grateful that over the years you have challenged Christians to give more generously to you and to your purposes and your mission by way of the local church. And we pray the same here today. Um, Lord, our motivation is for you. How can we not give extravagantly and generously toward you? It helps us to understand, even more than we do today, the depth of your extravagant grace and your goodness to us that you proved when you died on the cross for our sins and you rose again. Uh, Lord, that's why we come to the Lord's table today. And the Lord, pray that this time uh, at, at your table is a time of renewal, is a time of reflection, is a time of self-examination. Uh, Lord, would you lead us to a place of confessing our sins to you, making things right in a relationship with you, and being renewed as we remember all that you've done for us uh, in and through and by the cross. Through Christ we pray. Amen.